Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson. This is Cutting Through Matrix on the 29th of August 2011. For newcomers, you should look into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and hopefully you can wade through all the free audios which are there for a free download and hopefully understand the big picture of the system with a big agenda. It's been an old agenda. We're still we're just working through a script, basically, or living through a script, I should say, uh, every day, every year, and every century, in fact, because this was written a long time ago to bring in this new world order, as they like to call it themselves at the top, although they mock you if you use the same terminology. It's still a new world order. It's a new way of living, a new society where the elite and intelligentsia have the right, supposedly, to run our lives the, the way that they wanted to. Uh, not left to you because you can't decide. You're just too silly and stupid to decide yourself what to do properly. But the ones at the top will make sure that you do. That's really what it is. That's what socialism is. And it works with the big banks and the guys who helped fund it in the first place and even funded the communist revolution. So that's the system we're living through today. And we see examples every single uh, day that goes past now of control freakism, as I like to call it, where the new agencies spring up and then they go into action and start finding people for all kinds of silly little things to train you to obey your superiors. It's really to do with training you and training you to be fearful of authority until once you get one group of parents that's fearful of authority, their children will also be so too, and they'll train the next ones and the next ones and the next ones, much like training them for religion, same idea. So remember, as I say, you can download those audios and get a big picture of the people behind it, the organizations behind it, the academia behind it too, uh, the think tanks. They all work in collusion with the, the, the societies, the big societies, like they're all Institute of International Affairs or Council on Foreign Relations, which is the same thing for different countries. And uh, go through their, their history. You'll understand what I'm talking about. I give you the, the, the books to read. I tell you where you'll find the articles and so on and their agenda and, of course, all the associated organizations that work alongside of them through education and higher academia, all the way up to the big think tanks that plan your lives for you. So remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. You can buy the books and discs I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And hopefully that'll keep me ticking over because I don't take cash from advertising or promote the advertising myself. That's how generally the hosts make their living. But I don't do that. Uh, It gives me more leeway to to be the way I want to be. And um, no one can leans on me for for anything. Uh, The ads you hear in this particular broadcast, uh, this uh, always every night, uh, are really uh, from the advertisers to RBN, which pays for the airtime and their staff and equipment, and hopefully a bit of their bills too. And that's the only way it gets out on the air. So you can do it from the U.S. to Canada. You can order by using personal check or international postal money order. Go into the cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, and you'll see how to do it. You can also use PayPal as well. And across the rest of the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, 
and you're, you've also got PayPal once more. And straight donations, remember, are really, really welcome in these days which are plummeting definitely into austerity, as I see on my side of it here. And we are living through this new society, as I like to call it, where the religions have gone. They used to be a, a, have a big pool at one time in society, and hundreds of years of warfare went on between agencies or, or secret agencies or societies against the, the general churches to bring them down in order to take over, you understand, and give you the new scientific priesthood. And we're supposed to believe the experts in everything they say, is to be law, as you well know, with like global warming and such, regardless if the facts don't actually tally up with their statements. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. Since 2001, after the towers went down into action, came a whole bunch of new laws, regulations and snooping um, laws, etc. Plus you also had crisis creation. From then on it's been crisis creation, one thing after another. We've had the fake for bird flu epidemics that never were. It's going to kill us all. Millions would die. Then, of course, we've had the pig flu as well, swine flu, and it didn't happen there either, but it didn't matter. And then, of course, we had the crisis through the banking system, which they had arranged a long time before. In fact, they arranged it when they took all the, all the oversight committees off of watching the banks back in the days of, of Thatcher, as far back as that. Britain did it at the same time as, as the U.S., and they knew exactly when they crashed the economy, and they also obviously knew, and the big boys knew at the, at the banking level too, they knew that they were too big to fail, as they say. They knew that they were going to get bailed out by the governments, and, and sure enough, they were. So it wasn't the government at all, actually. It was the taxpayers that had to pay for the mistakes of the bankers, uh, or the greed of the bankers, I should really say. And we'll, we'll pay for that forever and ever and ever, amen, because it's compound interest and all the rest of it, and they're already giving themselves multi-billion dollar bonuses, etc. Anyway, crisis creation will go on and on and on. Food crisis is, is to come up yet. We haven't had the food crisis situation yet, although they've had all the, the big scares about, oh, E. coli and everything, yada, 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 and massive recalls to get used to. Nothing safe anymore, you understand. Nothing is safe. And because we're so dumb and stupid at the bottom, we can't think for ourselves and rationalize anything at all. Therefore, the experts come out on television and tell us what to think and how to think, and, and they give us our conclusions. And, of course, there's no recourse to them. You can't debate it with them. They don't stand for any kind of debate. We've seen it with global warming as well, when the facts didn't measure up to their imagination. And Al Gore's come out again, of course, and said that, the, the, the modern day um, warming denier, and again it's like Holocaust denier, warming denier, uses all the right terminology because they think tanks make it all up from in marketing. And he says that we should equate them with the racists of the 20th century. And it's just ongoing, you see, ongoing uh, warfare. And that's what it is, it's warfare. It's all information wars and policy wars. And the government wants you to all simply to obey whatever they tell you is right or wrong. Uh, or factual, uh, they'll never tell you it's fictional. But here's an article here to show you how this crisis goes on. And uh, this is uh, Hurricane Irene, it says, 
The approach of Hurricane Irene prompted an extraordinary response from New York City officials. They shut down the city's sprawling public transportation network, set up 81 emergency shelters, and ordered the first ever mandatory evacuations of thousands of people from their homes to avoid potentially devastating flood waters. While 2001, when the towers went down that night, too, I mentioned you'll get refugees eventually. They want a whole, at least, this is a world war. It's a war for the whole world. And everything that comes into warfare, including rationing of food and fuel, and people on the roads with handcarts, all that kind of stuff, refugees, you're going to see it all. And sure enough, this is the idea now. It's a world war, so they must use warfare techniques, what you expect in warfare. And and that, that makes you more unstable on your feet, you might say, because you, you turn to the government for the answers then, which is exactly what they want you to do. But anyway, it says... Time is running out. Bloomberg told nearly 370,000 residents of low-lying areas on Saturday. If you haven't left, you should leave now, uh, not later this evening, not this afternoon, immediately. In the end, many of those in evacuation zones chose to stay put and faced few consequences for doing so. By the time Irene came ashore in New York on Sunday morning, it had been downgraded from a Category 1 hurricane to a tropical storm. And while it lashed the city with water, of course, with high winds and heavy rains, widespread inundation of low-lying coastal areas did not occur. Uh, Kinga Kusek, 33, rode out the storm in her home just a few blocks from the Brighton Beach in southern Brooklyn, Brooklyn, less than two hours after the brunt of the storm had passed. She was out on the beach with dozens of others, several of whom were already wading into the sea. I was scared. I was taking it seriously, Kusek said. In the end, it was nothing. So, you see, this is crisis creation, and the, the government wants this. That's why they gave so much authority and build up to the new homeland security. This combined with all the other groups, FEMA, etc., to do this kind of stuff. At the beginning of summer, they were doing um, the same kind of, uh, basically, even coast-to-coast um, scenarios to do, and training exercises to do with hurricanes and earthquakes and everything you can imagine plagues, disasters, etc. So they've got to get something to happen eventually that will give them a reason for actually existing, maybe. If not, they'll just make something, and that's how it will be. And a story too about Iceland. We forget about Iceland and what happened there, uh, because Iceland, of course, had the three main banks there that were uh, incredible interest rates, returns for the big investors, uh, local Companies, local corporations, even your local uh, federal or, or your federal, I should say, or local state departments were investing in them because it gives such high rates of return. But eventually, the money ran dry, of course. And they did the same thing there in, in, in Iceland. They tried to turn around and make the public pay uh, for the bankers, uh, well, pillaging and plunder. This is an Italian Radio Liberty's story about uh, Iceland, the ongoing revolution, is a stunning example of how little our media tells us about the rest of the world. We may remember that at the start of the 2008 financial crisis, Iceland literally went bankrupt. The reasons were mentioned only in passing, and since then this little-known member of the European Union fell back into oblivion. As one European country after another falls or risks falling, uh, imperiling the euro with repercussions from the entire world, the last thing the powers that want, that be want is for Iceland to become an example, and here's why.
uh, five years of a pure neoliberal regime had made Iceland, which has only got a population of 320,000, it's not an army, one of the richest countries in the world. In 2003, all the country's banks were privatized in an effort to attract foreign investors. They offered online banking, whose minimum costs allowed them to offer relatively high rates of return. The accounts called uh, IceSave attracted many UK and Dutch small investors, but as investments grew, so did the bank's foreign debts. In 2003, Iceland's debt was equal to 200 times its GNP, but in 2007, it was 900%. In 2008, world financial crisis was a coup de grace. It says that the three main Icelandic bankers, uh, Landbanki, uh, Capthing and Glitner, went belly up and were nationalized, while the kroner lost 85% of its value with respect to the euro. At the end of the year, Iceland was declared into bankruptcy. Contrary to what the, can be expected, the crisis resulted in Iceland's recovering their sovereign rights through a process of direct participatory uh, democracy that eventually led to a new constitution, but only after much pain. Geir Harde, the Prime Minister of a Social Democratic Coalition government, negotiated a $2,100,000 loan to which the Nordic countries added $2.5 million. But the foreign financial community pressured Iceland to impose drastic measures. The FMI and the, I IMF, they mean, and the European Union wanted to take over its debt, as they always do, eh? claiming this was the only way for the country to pay Holland back and Great Britain, who had promised to reimburse their citizens. Protests and riots continued, eventually touching the government or forcing the government to resign. Elections were brought forward to April 2000, resulting in a left-wing coalition which condemned the neoliberal economic system, but immediately gave in to its demands that Iceland pay off a total of three and a half million euros. This required each Icelandic citizen to pay 100 euros a month, or about 130 dollars a month for 15 years, at 5.5 interest to pay off a debt incurred by private parties vis-à-vis other private parties. It was the straw that broke the reindeer's back. What happened next was extraordinary. The belief that citizens had to pay for the mistakes of a financial monopoly, that entire nation must be taxed to pay off private debts, was shattered, transforming the relationship between citizens and their political institutions and eventually driving Iceland's leaders to the side of their constituents. The head of state, uh, Olafur Ragnar Grimson, refused to ratify the law that would have made Iceland's citizens responsible for its bankers' debts and accepted calls for a referendum. You see, and that's what they've done in every country. They make you, the citizen, responsible for the bankers' debt. And that's just, that is highway robbery. It truly, truly is. It's also utter corruption in government. I hope you understand that. And it's true, until the people themselves do something, it's going to continue in the same vein for an awful long time. But I'll put this link up at cuttingthroughmatrix.com at the end of the broadcast, and you can look at this. It's much longer than the part I've read here to see maybe how you can do it yourselves, because it's, it's, it's good to have an example to follow. You know things are going to get worse and worse, as if trained us to believe now we've got to be austere, meaning poverty. It's poverty. is austerity, you see. They want you to live in poverty, and all your income will go to paying taxes and to pay for your bare essentials and to pay for basic energy costs, which they're making to go skyrocketing into the outer space in every country. Because it's a, see, we're already under this global club at the top, these pirates at the top. And uh, this is all this part of the agenda. Every country right now is jacking up all of its, its costs of electricity 
and, and gasoline and everything else. So we've got to have an example here and there. Now, it's nice to be one in the lead once in a while, you know, like, and turn out to see the, the public so you can kind of laugh at them as, as they get kicked out of restaurants because that's what happens uh, in Britain. It says diners at top restaurant are turfed out so Prince Harry could eat undisturbed. Isn't that nice? See, feudalism has always been here. And as long as folk turn up to wave at golden carriages uh, with a flag in hand too, uh, it's going to continue. I, I can't understand these people at all. Prince Harry sent an exclusive Suffolk bistro into a spin last night after turning up unannounced for a secret meal out with friends. Since many regulars were left disgruntled after being told they would have to eat outside at the four-star Milsom's Kestgrave Hall in Kestgrave near Ipswich after the prince booked out nearly a third of the inside tables. Harry, accompanied by three bodyguards, arrived in blacked out Range Rover at around 7 p.m. on Tuesday. And we'll see how the serfs are treated today as they have been in days of yore. Back with this after these messages. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix and talking about Prince Harry going out for a meal and he, he books it probably on, on a, a rush deal too and they cleared out a whole restaurant uh, so that he could sit there and dine and uh, entertain uh, maybe one or two other people. Anyway, it said here uh, that um, he dined with two people, a man and a woman, thought to be in their 30s, as his bodyguards sat nearby, leaving three other tables unoccupied. But other people did eating out at the packed restaurant, which does not normally accept table bookings, not normally for just anybody, right? We're told that they would have to eat outside if they wanted a table. Can you believe that? I bet the, sh- I bet the idiots did it too. One diner who didn't want to be named said, it's pretty incredible to see a member of the royal family turn up just as we were sitting down for dinner. And that was a rush booking, eh? But it did cause a bit of a stir because many of the, the regulars didn't particularly want to sit outside in a chilly night. Harry had booked all the tables on the upper tier of the restaurant, so we didn't really have a choice. Harry was, oh, and then it goes into Harry's training to fly up Apache helicopters and yada, 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 and all that rubbish. The diner added, he seemed pretty relaxed, he wasn't drunk or anything like that. He might have had a glass of wine, but it seemed like he was just enjoying a meal out. It says here, like everyone else, I say everyone else's expense. But uh, that's what you got in this, these enlightened days in the 21st century when you've got kings and queens and princes and their fairy tale castles. And uh, it's just astonishing that they can, they can get away with it. But they do. They do. Because the people do what they're told. Okay, I'll, I'll get out. They know he's an important person. Yeah. So that's how it works. And um, another article too I want to mention here. As it's in Michigan, Michigan, Michigan governor plays fast and loose with democracy and invokes radical new powers. I guess it's going to come everywhere. It says, um, it says uh, that uh, this is a takeover by the right wing and it's an assault on democracy like I've never seen it, says. Perhaps lost in the Wisconsin shuffle is the story of what exactly is happening in Michigan. Newly elected Republican Governor Rick Schneider is set to pass one of the most sweeping anti-democratic pieces of legislation in the country, and no one is talking about it. Schneider's law gives the state government the power not only to break up unions, but to dissolve entire local governments and place appointed emergency managers in their stead. But that's not all. Whole cities could be eliminated if emergency managers and the governor chose to do so. And 
Snyder can fire elected officials unilaterally without any input from the voters, it doesn't get much more anti-democratic than that. It's just more training. Uh, and, of course, if, if you let them get away with it, they just go further and further. And no doubt folk will, pretty well let them get away with it, I suppose. Wait and see. And then, too, we've got the usual stuff going on as the big, big international corporations uh, basically use sweatshops across the world. Uh, and we've had this before. Disney Factory faces probe into sweatshop suicide claims. And uh, it says uh, Disney's best-selling cars and toys are being made in a factory in China that uses child labor and forces staff to do three times the amount of overtime allowed by law according to an investigation that ties in, too, with all of the suicides that come out of there, too. Incredible suicide rate in China when you're locked in factories for maybe 14, 16 hours at a time. And uh, and that's, that's all you can see for the future. Same thing. Uh, it's no life at all, and eventually uh, they, they, they kill themselves. They've had it. It says one worker reportedly killed herself after being repeatedly shouted at by bosses. And they do shout. I've seen some, some incredible documentaries that have been snuck out of China uh, that, that they're treated truly like, like, uh, like, like slaves. And that's really how they're treated. Others said worries over po- uh, poisonous chemicals. And Disney has now launched its own investigation. You can imagine all the plastic stuff that comes in from China. Uh, they don't bother with uh, venting the air to the outside through special drawing fans and such. They have to breathe all that stuff, so they don't live that long. But that's the new world order for you, too. And believe you me, if they could have it in any other country, they'd do the same there, too. And you might even see it yet coming back into the Americas and, and Britain and elsewhere under the, the austerity plans, you understand. And also, I want to mention tonight this article here. It's... Um, it says, French President Nicolas Sarkozy ordered the budget and finance ministry pooled together in the measures earlier this month after French stock were hit heavily over the stability of the country's AAA credit rating. Prime Minister Francois Fillon will outline plans to scrap tax exemptions and incentives that could save as much as 10 billion euro in extra revenues in the 2012 budget. France's fast deteriorating economic growth outlook means that the government must squeeze 10 billion euro from the 2012 budget. So they're, they're, they're skimping around on the edges of, of the same uh, bankruptcies as everyone else over there. This wonderful EU complex that they have uh, where you, you've got to just throw all your, your peasants' money at uh, big banks around the whole of the European Union. This is absolute farce. But uh, I guess what they get used to farces because really talking about it won't change it. And these guys have no intention of changing their agendas. This doesn't happen through pleading with them. I hope you all realize that. And a guy, too, in the U.S., this is another case that's happened quite a few times. A U.S. man faces two years in prison for shooting a grizzly while defending his family. This is quite a story. A man charged with unlawfully shooting and killing a grizzly bear in defense of his family garnered so much as so many reporters as arraignment in the U.S. District Court yet Tuesday the judge had to move the hearing to a larger courtroom. Even in larger space, however, every seat was reportedly occupied as a man's family, friends, and neighbors vying for place to show their support. Jeremy M. Hill, 33, pleaded not guilty to killing the grizzly with a rifle on his 20-acre property near Port Hill, Idaho, at the Canadian border. Because the Endangered Species Act classifies the grizzly as a threatened species, Hill was charged with a misdemeanor, it says. 
But I think a grizzly is a threatening species, all right. Don't you think so, too? Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks, we're back, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, reading about the fact that you have no rights to defend yourself from anything, especially if it's a, a so-called endangered species. And uh, it's, this, this fellow's son actually shot this bear because it had his family there. It was going after the pigs and so on. It says the bears had gone after some pigs in a pen that the children had been raising. Uh, it says, um, he asked once uh, his... He said his son shot one of the bears and called authorities to notify them to kill. The other two bears ran off. He said his son could have just buried the animal and not said anything to law enforcement. He said his son has been penalized for coming forward. Uh, The charges are simply unjust, said State Senator Sean Keogh, who attended the the hearing, uh, told the CDA press. Hopefully common sense will prevail. It's clearly an issue of protecting the family. But there's no such thing as clear anymore once you get lawyers getting involved. And they don't care who they put in, in jail for anything. According to her, the community has raised nearly $20,000 for Hill's defense. I mean, it's, it's, the, the lawyers always win, though, don't, don't they? It doesn't matter what happens or new laws, new sciences are developed or whatever. The lawyers, there's another bank of lawyers to deal with it, just appearing out of nowhere. And it says, clearly we have a problem with the ESA, Endangered Species Act, when situations like this happen. Representative Rawl, uh, Labrador from Idaho added, he says, we're doing everything we can to make sure this man is treated fairly. According to the CDA, the charge of killing a threatened species can carry a two-year prison sentence, a maximum fine of $50,000, and up to one year of probation. It's control freak time where common sense is thrown out the window, and you don't know, you should just stand there and let yourself be eaten. I guess that's acceptable to them all, because that'll be depopulation as well. And that'll get the message out to everybody else. Be eaten, because you better not harm that bear. That, that's how silly and ridiculous everything has become. And this article here is a revitalized eugenics movement and the FDA's role. Uh, it's quite an interesting article. And it says, on July 29, 2011, the Department of Global Health and Population at the Harvard School of Public Health sounded the population alarm bell in the International Science Journal Science, advocating for international contraception efforts to be funded by wealthy countries. I wonder what the class is wealthy countries now, when literally we, we, we should be all be going to the pawn shop to pay off all this debt. On August 1st, 2011, the Obama administration announced its plans to force health insurers beginning 2013 to pay for free birth control for all U.S. women, including free birth control pills, morning-after pills, that's the abortion pills, sterilization, and any other FDA-approved contraception methods and contraceptive counseling. Americans should understand that Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Margaret Humbug, <laughs> I said Humbug, it's Hamburg, but it's close to Humbug, which is good enough, eh? is a well-versed, is well-versed in eugenics theory, as both of her, uh, of her elite psychiatrist parents 
had headed to uh, the American Eugenics Society. And it's amazing. They've never gone away, you folks. They've never gone away. We're rapidly moving towards the time when the government bureaucrats issue regulations to determine which fetus uh, at five weeks of age are genetically fit enough to be born. And I think that's really it. It's never gone away. I'll try and find some excellent links to to, uh, to eugenics um, uh, videos that are out there and put them up on the website because some of them are astonishing. You, you, you under, you'll understand that these characters are alive and well because of the elites. You see, you want to kill a good lot of us off. And it will come down to eventually, too, do you have asthma? Or, or your child might get asthma, especially aborted or an allergy or something like that. It will eventually get down to that, that final line. And, uh, and I, I can see it going ahead. I can, you know, I can see it going ahead. Medical bills you shouldn't pay. Most folk don't understand the medical system or the insurance system, and because of their, their, their little knowledge, they get ripped off mightily. Medical bills you shouldn't pay. In a controversial practice known as balanced billing, healthcare providers are going after patients for money they don't owe. And this is common. This is very, very common. And uh, it says here, uh, as healthcare costs continue to soar, millions of confused consumers are paying medical bills they don't actually owe. Typically, this occurs when an insurance plan covers less than what a doctor, hospital, or lab service wants to be paid. Now, remember, this is what what they want to be paid. Uh, The healthcare provider demands the balance from the patient. Uncertain and fearing uh, the calls of a debt collector, the patient pays up. And it's it's extortion because the insurance company deals with it. And they negotiate with the provider, and they they set what they're going to pay, no more, and that's it. And they can't, can't come after the patient then, next patient, and, and go after more cash. They just can't do it. But they, they do do it as a con, and uh, uh, most folk will pay up. Most consumers don't realize it, but this common practice known as balanced billing is, uh, often is illegal. When doctors or hospitals think an insurer has reimbursed too little, state and federal laws generally bar the medical providers from pressuring patients to pay the difference. Instead, doctors and hospitals should be wrangling directly with the insurers. Economists and patient advocates estimate that consumers pay $1 billion or more a year for which they're not responsible. And it gives you examples on what happened to different people who either paid up or didn't pay up and they get harassed like crazy, of course, with the heavies that they set upon you. This is called civilization, folks. Oh, you're you're living, at the pinnacle, living at the pinnacle of civilization, they keep telling us. And... There was a World War II veteran in Britain who, he's been monitoring what happens in courts to see the illegalities that actually happen there. He's a big advocate for certain people and so on. But he uh, has been arrested because he took a tape recorder into courts. He said the courts a lot in Britain now have gone back to the closed door policy where, where you're not supposed to come out and tell anybody what's going on inside, even if you're just here listening uh, and not part of a jury. So he took a tape recorder in, he says he's hard of hearing, and he said he could at least tape it and then listen to it afterwards. So they're really going after him because they don't like people getting to know what they're really doing behind closed doors in Britain. They have all these private cases all the time. So they're all private, the public are barred, or the few public that get in can't write anything down, photograph anything, or record anything. So I'll put that up there too for you to have a little gander at, as they like to say. And... A very interesting article about Obama. We all know, and I've mentioned before, how you create the movie stars or any kind of star, any kind of celebrity is created by the media. It's been like that for a couple of hundred years. 
As you're surprised, look who ranks as most influential anchor. Uh, only one earned significant trust uh, from the GOP, the Democrats, and the Independents. And they go on about uh, the, the different famous names. The names are legendary. Edward R. Murrow, Eric Savarad, uh, Walter Cronkite, Paul Harvey, Peter Jennings, David Brinkley, and uh, Chet Huntley. Or per, uh, all powerfully influential in their time because of their positions delivering the news to Americans. Now following NBC's Brian Williams picked up a, in a new scientific poll as a media personality thought to be the most influential in America today. Even though his liberal bent is so well known, President Obama himself publicly joked about being in bed with him. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if you want to take that literally. One in four respondents picked NBC's Williams in response to the question of the people on this list. I'm going to read to you. Please tell me which media personality do you think is the most influential figure in America? Then they go through Bill O'Reilly, Rich Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and Oprah Winfrey, etc. But what's interesting is when you get down and you see the uh, what Obama said at this press, uh, big press dinner. He says, "Why bother hanging out with the celebrities when I can spend time with the people who made who made me one?" Obama asked the crowd of black-tied journalists and media personalities gathered at the Washington Convention Center. He says, "I know where my bread is buttered." Yeah, I bet he does. And it says, and while the president's joke was likely a reference to NBC's Inside the Obama White House program, in which Williams and a camera crew shot a reported 150 hours of occasionally intrusive footage at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, the double meaning of a reporter in bed with the president wasn't lost on some critics of the press. Although this is a funny joke, it's actually sad because the joke's real on us. Noel Shepard, associate director or editor of New News Busters, commented at the time, for the underlying truth is that Williams and NBC are indeed in bed with the new administration and everybody present, including the guest speaker, knows it. Williams earned more support than any other choice from those who identify themselves as liberal, moderate and conservative. Those who identify themselves as liberal put behind him in second or put put him in second place behind Oprah Winfrey and those who identify themselves as very conservative put him in sixth place behind Limbaugh, O'Reilly, Hannity, Sawyer and Winfrey. So quite interesting statements coming from the presidents because he knows darn well the media and of course Madison Avenue uh, made them what he is. And they make it, it's the same for them all, mind you. This article, too, is to do with what's happening in the U.S. coal plant industry. I'll put this up tonight, too, at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And it's talking about the, the, the agenda for shutting down the coal plants in the States. Over the next 18 months, the Environmental Protection Agency will finalize a flurry of new rules to curb pollution from coal-fired power plants, mercury, smog, ozone, greenhouse gases, Water intake, coal ash, it's all getting regulated. And not surprisingly, some lawmakers are grumbling. Industry groups such as the Edison Electric Institute, which represents investor-owned utilities, and the American Legislative Exchange Council have dubbed the covering the coming rules EPA's regulatory train wreck. The regulations, they say, will cost utilities up to $129 billion and force them to retire one-fifth of coal capacity, given that coal provides 45% of the country's power, that means higher electric bills, more blackouts, and fewer jobs. The doomsday scenario has, alarm, has alarmed Republicans in the House who have been scrambling to block the measures. I guess the, against the, the ones who aren't Republicans can afford the extra. I guess that's what they must mean by that. 
who have been scrumpted to block the measures. Environmental groups retort that the rules will bring sizable public health benefits and the industry groups have been exaggerating the cost of environmental regulations since they were first created. But actually they are going to phase out so many of them, your electricity is going to skyrocket and they're going to use other means supposed to supply electricity, more expensive means by using gas and so on to, to power the, gener- the generators. So anyway, that's what you got. And um, it's, it's quite interesting, as I say, that uh, we'll never really know all of it yet. You project what's going to come because you see it get mentioned more in other countries like Britain, but uh, we'll still have to see what's going to happen in the States. Again, it's austerity where all your extra spending cash is going to move uh, simply into um, into paying off essentials, bare essentials, for post-consumerists, you understand. And the companies, too, that will lose out or think they'll lose out, like the electric companies, well, I just won't use electricity or I won't use as much as electricity. No, they'll up it gradually and gradually and gradually. And they won't lose out at all because they're jacking up the prices tenfold for the electricity you're getting now. And they plan to increase it up to maybe 20% or 20-fold even by the time that they're finished with this agenda, and maybe only for a few hours of electricity per day. So they won't, they won't lose cash. They'll just make sure they get it back by massive increases, which the government will be behind and be all very happy with to, to give them. That's the real world as it's going on. So we're living through this new world order, uh, eugenics, um, austerity measures, as they want to call it, um, post-consumerist society, and um, it's not a, a pleasant picture at all. We're, none of us are really involved in it except from com- about complaining about it. And uh, it would take incredible organization to fight this new world order. And I think people who've been at this for years understand that. They're not going to give up because, because there's no real organized opposition, like mass opposition. They can go across the, the spectrum of different kinds of people and get them all on board to just really massively agitate and say no. Because after all, you see, your government has never really represented you for your whole life or the parents before you. They don't listen to the people anywhere. And uh, they don't don't intend to. This is the New World Order. Remember the the Club of Rome uh, said they were were post-democratic Back in the 70s, he says, that would be the system we have to bring out, post-democratic and authoritarian. Well, if you can't see it now, there's something wrong with you. Because that's what it is. We are post-democratic. And the problem again is, is when you do get people organized in any area, it's for one particular little part only. It's like, it's like taking a little bit of cheese and gnawing out a little bit of cheese when there's a whole massive round of cheese above you that you don't get enough people on board with the same parts of the, of the same, this, dismantling this agenda. And that's what you'd have to do. Dismantling it and have enough organizations coming together for each part to do so. You understand the far left have done this for, for years and years. They get all, they network, they call it, with all their other um, left-wing groups, all kinds, all kinds. They bring them all on boards, even the the, um, the homosexuals and so on. They're all told, told to come in when they're protesting any particular thing that the main organization wants to protest. That gives them numbers 
and they get out on the streets and they parade and, and, and they stick their banners up and, and demand and demand and they're taking notice off. And you've got to get something big enough to oppose this from the general population where you do get off your keister and you start getting on the streets. It doesn't matter what kind of weather it is because this is the future for yourself and your children you're looking at here. You know where they're taking you. They're telling you where they're taking you in this global society and it's not going to be pleasant at all. You've got to stand up and do something eventually because if not, they'll come down on you. And when you do, when you're starving to death and then you do complain, that's when they'll come down on you. Disgusting society we live in. I'm also putting up a link. It's been, it's, it's been re-updated, but it's a, it's a actual article. But it's to do with the, the U.S.'s sexually transmitted disease study, which they did um, a long time ago in, in Guatemala. It says 83 died in the, the 1940s U.S. STD study. At least 83 people died during deliberately infected with sexually transmitted diseases in U.S. government's experiments in Guatemala during the 1940s. A commission investigating the program has found nearly 5,500 people were subjected to diagnostic testing and more than 1,300 were exposed to venereal disease by contact or inoculations. Within that group, we believe that there were 83 deaths, said Commissioner Member Stephen Hauser. Amongst the 1,300 exposed to STDs, fewer than 700 received some form of treatment, as best as could be documented, Mr. Hauser added. U.S. President Barack Obama created the commission last year after news of the experiments came to light. I wish you'd do the ones, too, within the United States, because we're doing the same thing in the United States, too. It was mainly in poor black areas. They'd tell them they had syphilis or something. They'd come in, they didn't have it at all. Then they'd give them the syphilis, and they'd treat, it, treat them a whole bunch, lots of them. They did the same thing, too, by telling them, oh, you've got cancers. They didn't have cancers. They came in for what they thought was treatment, and they were actually injecting uh, plutonium into them. I, I've given out the links before for the documentaries that from the government themselves that document this stuff. This is the world you're living in, and you cannot trust your governments anymore. You couldn't a long time ago, actually, but you can't trust them. Politicians cannot turn a, a, a blind eye. Well, we didn't know. N- nonsense. Nonsense. They all get together to push these things forward and sign the documentations for funding and secrecy. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix and I, I, my screen just came up there here. I've got trouble with my darn screen here for Colors page, but I think Janet's been hanging on from London. Is she still there? Hello, Alan. Yes. Hello, Alan. Hello. Uh, yes, uh, just just a couple of things to say. Um, my, I'm living in London. I'm from Northern Ireland originally. And uh, my daughter was due to return today to London from uh, the north of England where she's been staying with her father and his family. And 
you know, I uh, have been thinking about uh, what's been going on and listening to your program and other programs on RBN and, you know, other websites and uh, and, uh, and the atmosphere here in London. Uh, I'm from Northern Ireland and it's a very, very familiar atmosphere over here, unfortunately. And uh, I made, the, with a heavy heart, I made the decision that she was to stay with, uh, with her dad's family in the North of England. Well, I think it's uh, safer for her uh, for the time being, and uh, so you know, it's it's you know, it's uh, I can't really you know believe that I've actually done that, but I'm I'm relieved that I have, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, so, so you know, mm. I know, I know, it's such a an astonishing system there where. And I went through some of the history in, in the, through the Rollins Street of International Affairs own uh, books a long time ago on how they would flood the first world countries with immigration even if there were no jobs because the intention was to eventually cause uh, debacles and, and even racial uh, conflict down the road that would help them further with a, a worldwide agenda. And, of course, they're bringing in people with no jobs to go to. And most of them are unskilled. Uh, they've created a, a welfare state, which is handy if you want to, a rebellion to, to happen at once in a while. You just stir it up, make it happen, and it happens. Uh, every country's got its own little place that they can provoke and, and get them to, to riot and so on. So it's astonishing they've done this. But then again, the assistant prime minister of Tony Blair in the mainstream media uh, said that he'd been ordered to completely open the floodgates. Uh, it had all been done beforehand, but completely open them to new immigration from the diverse countries, he called it. That means the most different cultures. And uh, he said, Tony told them this was com- would completely destroy any vestige of the culture of Britain and its history at the same time. That was literally what came out from the guy next to Tony Blair all through these years. I mean, they know what they're doing. It's not by accident, and they'll use anybody to do it. And, and of course... Well, 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 Alan, you know, I've... I've I, you know, I've like I say, you know, we know all about this in Northern Ireland, and I've got friends here of various uh, ethnic backgrounds, and, and you know, I don't, they're not, they, they don't, they don't, they've never really been lived through this before, and, and yeah. we have in Northern Ireland, you know, we, right. you know, there's a, there's an injustice happens, there's mm-hmm. a protest about it, there's a, 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 a provocation, there's a riot, and then there are the results from that, you know, legal and, you know, police and political and you know and I have to say you know the police you know the police have been very good to me in the past and you know I've had a few domestics and uh, you know they've been there for me and uh, you know but, but, but they're you know they're uh, on the front line and you know they, you know they've they, they've watched the films that we've watched they've watched Robocop and all the other films and you know right. so you know but what it does too, it's not so much the riots they're after, it's the, the laws they can pass on everyone because of riots. That's the goal, and that's why they make sure that they have riots on cue. Yeah. We're, we're managed like children in a sense, by professionals and strategists, and they know exactly where they're taking the world. It's going to be an armed camp eventually, unfortunately. But thanks for calling. And from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada... Good night and may your God or your gods go with you.